What does it take to become an elite 40k player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40k Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law, and this is episode two of the podcast. I'm glad you're able to join us today. Over the next hour or so, we're going to interview one of the top players in 40K. What's unique and different about this podcast is we're going to interview a player who has lost in a game. The goal is to analyze and dig deep into why players lose. How often have you blamed the loss on bad dice or just overall just bad odds? So we're going to really dive in today and really investigate why our guest today lost. This is part one of the episode, and in this episode, we're going to really dig into the why. In part two, we're going to investigate what he would change moving forward. As always, hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm honored today to be joined by one of our previous guests, a player who indeed needs no introduction, but let's recap it one more time. He's a four-time Adepticon champion. He's a three-time Nova Open champion. He's a former ITC champion. He's a lifetime member of Team USA. The king of Hawaiian shirts, Mr. Brown Magic, Nick Nanavati. Nick, you actually beat our guest today. And how strange is that that you play a close friend in a late round like that? Oh, it's it's never fun, but it's uh, it's something that happens. And you just gotta you have a great game because we're friends and we can definitely just have a great time with it. But then, you know, someone does have to win, someone does have to lose. So that's all that always sucks. Right. That, that has to be a little strange, you know, to play someone that you play all the time in around what five or six of an event like that. Ironically, with Jack, we play each other like like for the past 10 years. Like we just have always lived like within 15 minutes, minutes of each other and just played each other constantly as play test partners. And then for every tournament we ever go to, whether it's we got on a plane to get there, or if we just drove an hour, whatever it was, at some point we always played. So, you know, some things never change. Well, speaking of Jack, our guest today is one of 40K's best-kept secrets. He has an accomplishment list that is longer than I can't even think of a thing to compare it to. It includes a Nova Invitational Championship, a Battle for Salvation Championship, three top three finishes at the Bay Area Open, and most recently, he came in fifth place at Clutch City, and he finished 10th at the Dallas Open. The newest Art of War coach, the namesake for my unborn child, Mr. Jack Harpster. Jack, tell us about the last time you lost a game. Oh, last time I lost a game, uh, Dallas Dallas Open with my sisters of battle. Fun army, but uh, oof, yeah, like other man, got to well, play against. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to I'm excited to see what what uh, kind of see your thought process because I think you actually you lost to Nick and you lost to another Dark Eldar player, so that'll be interesting to kind of see what your thoughts are to play that list again and kind of what does how the games flowed. Absolutely, so, I've had plenty of time to think about it, so a lot of time to think about what I would do there. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's talk about your performance at the Dallas Open and just tell us a little bit at, about the event. Tell us, you know, obviously it's in Dallas, but how many players were there, you know, how many rounds, all that kind of stuff. There were roughly what, 170, 180 at that event, I believe. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. 174, I think, something like that, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and it was it was a good event, honestly. Um, some issues with terrain a couple weeks before the event, but they tightened a lot of that up. Some of the terrain was a little wonky. We can go over that. But um, in general, they did populate the tables pretty well. Um, the tournament was a lot of fun. It was in a great venue. Uh, honestly, I'd go again, for sure. 
do you feel like the terrain had any effect, like depending on where you are? I know we talk about big events and kind of from table one to, you know, 60 or whatever. Was, do you feel like it was pretty universal? Was there an advantage or disadvantage to playing, you know, at table one versus, say, table like 48? Um, well, Nick, I remember hearing say that uh, Sean's list was good on table one. I don't remember the terrain on table one, but uh, but if you stay on table one, you get the same table over and over again. Uh, day one was all Dawn of War deployments, which could be a little little swingy. So getting out of that undefeated was was a big relief. Um, and then later on in the tournament, around seven and eight, we had really weird. Uh, I anyway had really weird uh, terrain. I had this gigantic cross in the middle of the board that you couldn't see through. Yeah, I remember um, seeing that. Yeah, basically a big line down the center of the board. You just there's a big wall you couldn't see, and there was a there was an impact on the games for sure. Uh, it didn't didn't really come out that much in my games, but it could have. Do you uh, feel like there's anything else just in the event in general? You know, you drove, you flew to Dallas, I assume, because y'all came from Florida. But I know that can be a little bit exhausting. I know we had talked to Nick at episode one kind of about that. You know, just the the travel logistics, anything else that really kind of played into your weekend? Oh, it was a long, long event. It felt very long. Uh, three. It's been a while since I've done a three-day event. Three-day, uh, you know, eight games. I haven't done that since Nova, probably. So right. I was definitely out of tournament shape, very tired by the end of it, very exhausted, ready to go home. But and I think a- that'll be something good we can kind of touch on it i know we touched on it uh with our first episode there just kind of the mentality and how you personally kind of prepare you know for a, a three-day event because i mean that's a that's a whole different monster than say a an rtt or even like a two-day gt so yeah absolutely uh, absolutely it's you don't realize how tiring it is to stand there and lean over a table all day until you've done it three days in a row and you've done you know 20 hours of warhammer and then you're ready you're ready to just go home and sleep and you go home and you just your whole body aches. You're taking Tylenol, ibuprofen. You're sleeping for ten hours and just uh, feel like you got whooped. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Luckily, I was able to end on a on a positive note. Able to end on a couple wins, uh, so that made it feel a little bit better. But um, definitely tiring more than you. Think. Yeah, ten, tenth place is fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's a great that's a great showing. Definitely, Nick. Thank do you me. have any other questions for him? Just, I know you were at the event, so anything you can add in? Uh, do you have anything to kind of contribute to that? No, I think he did a really good job asking about the general event and the settings. I'm more interested in like getting into the nitty gritty of, of what's got this game going. Yeah, let's let's jump right into it then. Jack, to start off, give us a rundown of your sister's list. All right, so it might, it's a little bit out of the ordinary. Uh, it's Bloody Rose, which isn't out of the ordinary, but I do have five rhinos. And in those rhinos are three squads of retributors, two big squads of repentia, and then three squads of five arcoflagellants, a squad of Repentia, five squads of um, just sisters for battle. Just uh, really going wide, going MSU, taking five rhinos, they all have hundred killer missiles, taking a Palatine, taking a Cannoness. And then a little spice on top, I took uh, Kyria Draxus, the Inquisitor, um, and she was a rock star the whole event. Uh, her main thing is that she, if she charges you, she can make you fight last. So if I want to fight in two areas of the board at once, then I charge one place with like squad of repentia and I squad charge the other place with squad of repentia and Draxus. And Draxus makes one squad fight last. I activate the other area first, fight there. The other squad can interrupt and I get to fight there as well. So you just get double murder, yeah. Absolutely. You get double murder squads and you don't have to worry about interruptions and that's pretty awesome, yeah. Yeah, it, it made a big difference. Um, and also she's a psyker, which came up once because she was able to do psychic ritual uh, in my game against a Death Guard player. And she... Also has a strat that I managed to get off a bunch of times during the tournament, which is one CP if she's within three inches of a character when an enemy character when the character dies, 
uh, you get it's one CP and you get D3 CP back and your entire uh, opponent's army for the rest of the game is minus one leadership. Spoiler alert, I did it to Nick. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Nick, how about you just go ahead, since you were the player who actually beat, one of the players who beat him, why don't you give us your list so we kind of get an idea of that? Sure thing. So Jack actually um, played me and James Kelling, who James, I got fourth and James got fifth with Dark Elder. But our Dark Elders were very similar. Uh, there's like one key difference, but mostly the same. And my list in particular was basically six Raiders, um, all Blackheart, uh, two Slith and Urgul parties. So those are my big Nick thing. Um, then I have uh, you know, Trueborn, two units of five warriors, two Archons, uh, the Super Succubus uh, with the Razor Flails and all that, a uh, big unit of witches, two units of five witches, uh, Drazar, and the triple Raquifiers. Also, um, two units of Incubi and the unit of five Mandrakes. So just tons of stuff in boats, and the uh, double Slithergul party is the flair to it, and uh, very standard-ish Dark Eldar. So, you, Jack, you stare across, you see those parties over there dancing over there, you see his full list. You look at that and you say, what am I going to target and how am I going to just generally approach this matchup? Well, uh, I've played actually that matchup a few times in practice, quite a few times, and been refining my sister's list to try and gear it towards Dark Eldar because I, you're going to play Dark Eldar a tournament. I ended up playing them four times. And you want to make sure that you don't have these big units that your opponent can send a 70-point unit into or flame it off the board or whatever and trade into it. Uh, that's why Marines have a particularly bad matchup in a Dark Eldar. I didn't want to lean into it. So I added three squads of Arcoflagellants. They put out a ton of attacks. They natively reroll the hit. Uh, they're not super durable, but they're more durable than you expect with two wounds and feel pain. Um, and you can just shove them in Rhinos, and they get out and they trade for stuff. Um, so that was my tech towards Dark Eldar. Um, in addition, a bunch of rhinos because Dark Elder aren't particularly great at killing rhinos efficiently. They'd much rather use their, their liquefiers and their combat on the actual units inside. And if you can keep them alive through the Dark Lances by using your invulns and Miracle Dice and by modifying dice up into making your, making your uh, invulns, then you can keep them alive longer than they think you can. Uh, a lot of the times, six Dark Lances, you might be able to only lose one rhino. And then your opponent's units are kind of at a loss for what to do, hopefully. Uh, unfortunately, so, in practice, I have found that uh, Dark Eldar, even if you tech for them, it's, it's just hard to get a winning matchup into them. So I knew going into my game against Nick, I knew this is not, a, not great odds going in. Did that, so everything you said, so how did you kind of deploy your units in a way where you wouldn't just get be subjected to like a turn if Nick gets turn one, a turn one just push. Like obviously you you screened out. Kind of talk walk us through your deployment a little bit. I actually just kind of put everything on the line uh in this matchup. I put a couple troop squads back on the objective and I just put all my units in rhinos up front. He can't alpha me super hard because I have all the transports. He has to get me out of the transports first or I have to get out of the transports to answer him. So that gives me the ability to not get run over turn one. So I just kind of deployed on the line, and since I have three units of retributors with multi-meltas and cherubs and real ones to hit and wound and everything, he has to be very careful, and he deployed everything in his back ruin. If he deploys on the line, I deploy on the line, I go first, I can just wipe him out in his deployment zone, and so he's just not going to be there for me to hit him. Are you not at all worried with the... It's, it's just so rare to find someone deploying on a line like that on the top tables. Like, Are you not concerned at all about like the Dark Elder player going first and just blowing you up? It's possible. 
Um, but I, it's hard, right? Because if I'm deploying all my rhinos on the line, you just want to make sure that when your unit, when your rhinos get destroyed, your units can get out behind a wall. So it's harder for them, for your opponent to answer the units that get out, and then the units that get out can kill whatever killed their rhino. It is possible for a Dark Elder player to just go all in on you and pop a bunch of rhinos and do some damage. And that's actually what James Kelling did in my next game. And they actually don't end up doing that much damage to the units inside that matter. And then they tend to be right in front of you for all your multi-melts to light up. And Dark Before Elder we dig too advantage, deep. so they don't want to squander that making a 50-50. Like, do they do enough damage? Do they not? Before we dive too deep in what, how the game actually flowed, go ahead and tell us in yours and Nick's game, what was the mission? What secondaries did each of you choose? And because I know that also affects you know, your deployment and kind of your overall strategy. Yeah. So, um, uh, Jack, why don't you start off with your sisters? Sure. Well, I, we both took, I believe, we both took Domination. We both took the Sweep and Clear. Um, oh, it was mission number 32. It was Sweep and Clear. So that's the five objective one where uh, you, you hold the center. Everyone takes that direct assault mission secondary. So it's just hold the center. Yep, and it's a five-objective mission, so you take Domination, which functionally boils down to control the center again. Uh, Nick, Neither Nick or I can keep the other person off the center objective if they commit resources to it. So it's it's just back and forth, swinging in the center. Like, you get six mission, you get six secondary objectives points, and then your opponent gets six, and then you get six, and then they get six, because you just fight over the center objective. Yeah. Uh, then so I took Thin the Ranks, which just happens to be good against Nick's list. I found that out through practice. Uh, each of the each of the vehicles is a point, and he just has a ton of infantry, like 70 infantry or something. So it ends up being like 14, 14 points, and it's just it's just a good one to take. You end up getting a good score out of it. So I guess in your mind, this mission is just fighting over the middle. So deploy as close to the middle as you can and start fighting, and then the ranks will just happen naturally. Yeah, if you let me just you know move an empty rhino, or you let me move a squad of five battle sisters on and take the center objective that way without having to commit anything, then I get an advantage on the points in trading. And that helps. So you're you, going you to have move your, to contest the center. Yeah, you have your trades ready to roll. Yeah, once he puts something out there, you're you're ready to counter with whatever you have right there. Yep. And uh, arcoflagellants tend to trade very well. And if he just throws written, like weak units, like uh, warriors or maybe a five-man squad of witches, which I don't think you had in that build, but like a five-man squad of warriors or a five-man squad of racks or something, then arcoflagellants can go in and trade for that and take the center objective. So I can trade for the center with little stuff, or if he puts like a Slith and Urgul party in the center, then Repentia can go in and pick it up. Um, one factor that I've found about this particular matchup through maybe a bunch of practice games, like five or ten, is that I can only answer the Slith and Urgul parties with Repentia. And so I know going into the game, I, I have to save my Repentia for the Slith and Urgul parties, otherwise I'm going to lose. Did uh for this particular game, what, the terrain? What was the middle of the middle of the board looking like? Like, was there places where you could easily get up there, set your trades up, and not just be completely exposed to Nick's uh, counter assault? Sort of. So it was imagine a quarters deployment, and it's there's five objectives in the center of each corner in the in the center of the table. And on the hammer and anvil side, so on the short table edges, right off the center objectives. There are these pipe things, which are the weird house rules. So they're minus one to hit, they're dense cover and light cover, so like a mix of a forest and a crater, but they're not minus two move. They're not obscuring, but they are these weird triangular pile of pipes. So it's like big enough to block infantry for sure, 
uh, not big enough to block a raider, big enough to block a rhino, but it's easy to get angles around the side of it, and it's just true line of sight. Very strange. And then on the other side, kind of a little bit further off on Dawn of War, there's these two ruins um, that are obscuring and, and large, but a little bit out of the way for a fight over the middle kind of objective. And those are pretty much... Then there's like during in each deployment zone corner on an objective that, you know, okay. Yeah, um, well, luckily you had that because you get to deploy your whole army behind that and you're fast enough where it doesn't matter you deployed off the line. That's true, yeah. I could hold my, hide literally my entire army in my corner. So if I went second... Jack would get an awesome amount of board control by deploying on the line, but he wouldn't be able to alpha me off the table, and then I could explode outward. Or, like in the game that was actually played, I ended up going first. Yes. And your army, I assume it wants to play like pressure style. Like you want to control the board, you want to constantly be kind of pressuring. So, what, how did you approach the game as far as like primaries? You have five missions. What was your like kind of plan from turn one to five doing that? Well, it's a hold one mission. So, I know if I'm going second, I have the advantage if both of us still have stuff left at the end of the game. Nick knows that too. So he's going to commit to try and push me off and limit my options and try and table me, basically. Um, Because if I still have a bunch of units left and it's turn five, I I could get a 15 and that could swing swing the the mission right there. We each get a 10. We get 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. Maybe Nick gets, you know, five or something and then I get a 15 right at the end. And that's not good for him. So he's going to push hard. Uh, or at least he's incentivized to do that. So, I guess, so now we kind of have an idea, you know, where where, where the, we've. I think we've set up the game pretty well here. So, tell me where you think the game went wrong for you. Well, the game started out actually pretty good. Nick pushed up because uh, you know he found his courage and he he decided to go in. <laughs> left the corner. Uh, he left the corner. <laughs> it's safe back there, but he <laughs> left the corner. Uh, he didn't leave the corner with the Slith and Ergo parties, which is something Nick's very good at: is waiting until they have a five-up invuln before exposing them. If they have a six-up invuln, retributors can pick them up. If they have a five-up invuln, retributors don't pick them up. So he didn't leave the corner ruin with the Slith and Urgle parties, but he left the corner ruin with all of his vehicles. Uh, he shot at my rhinos, which were all, I believe, in minus one to hit cover, and I think you blew up two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of them actually blew up, and that was not fun. Yeah. That blew up right in the center of my lines and yeah. killed a whole bunch of my infantry. Uh, so I was, I was, because I, I knew things had to go right for me and wrong for Nick in order for me to be advantaged in this game, and it did not start out that way. Um, but go back into my turn, and I'm thinking, all right, I need to knock Nick out of this game. All of his raiders are exposed; they're hard to kill. But let's see how many we can do. So I took um, one of my squads of repentia, and I advanced it so it could advance and charge. So it was right next to like two of your raiders, or not right next to. I needed like a nine-inch charge. But it was looking at two Raiders, which we will talk about this under the mistakes category. And you had Miracle Dice. And I had Miracle Dice for this. Um, we'll talk about that in the mistakes category because it was a mistake. But I'm trying to DMAC him completely. Turn one, we'll see what happens. So I move all my retributors out, I get lines of sight, and I have an amazing shooting phase. I blow up five Raiders in one turn, including one shot, Jeez. one multi-melted shot that killed three Raiders because it blew one up and that killed two that were next to it at like one or two wounds apiece. And, and Nick was not happy at that point. <laughs> We're, we're, it, was, yeah. it was comical. Like the first like two or three squads of multi meltas like fired, and like I lost like a raider, taking a lot of damage across many of them. But like Jack kept splitting fire because he needed to get aggressive, and it just not it kept not paying off for him. I was like, this is awesome. Nothing's happening. And then like literally the last multi melta shot killed three raiders. It was amazing. The look on Nick's face, gobsmacked, <laughs> flabbergasted. Just he he couldn't believe what he was looking at. Uh, I did so well, actually, that my repension now were looking at nothing. And that was kind of a problem because I killed the raiders they were going to be, that they were going to be charging. 
because I, I had the shots and I only had there, the lines of sight were weird and mm-hmm. I just didn't set that up properly. And five raiders down and now the repenter are looking at no, there's no enemy units within 12 inches of them. And well, that sucks. Yeah. Uh-huh. What, John, what jumped out there that was like kind of a threat to them now? Anything in his army picks them up. They have a six up yeah, okay. and five with Philippine. I don't remember what you ended up killing them with. Maybe a squad of liquefiers or something, but it, it wasn't pretty. They it's died. Like the poison on the true burn, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> just anything. Some incidental yeah. shooting. Um, it's it's the fact that the Repentia were either going to serve a redundant, redundant role of charging the raiders that were going to die to shooting, in theory, or they were going to hit the raiders and trade for the raiders is the best case scenario for them. And that wasn't like enough of a job for them because as we'll get to, they are very integral to dealing with the Sliths. They are very integral to dealing with the Sliths. I mean, the Sliths were in the back corner. I mean, how threatening are they? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, Continue your battle report, though. So Nick then moves up on me. Um, you're, you put your, your Raquifiers, you put them in your, your Raider, right? the one Raider that's left, and you move it up to the center, if I remember correctly. You gotta shuffle the racks. You shuffle the racks around. That's the problem. If you leave raiders alive, you didn't kill the racks. <laughs> <laughs> so he then overloads the center objective. He puts a, a raider on it. He puts Trazar, I think. I think you did. And you also charge, I believe, a squad of witches into my rhino that was hanging out like sort of near the objective. And you string back to the corner objective that's away from my deployment zone. And so he's just he's going, he's going forward. Uh, it's a new Nick. <laughs> Very proud of him. He's committing. Um, so he he goes in and he also uh, charges a whole bunch of stuff on my on my right side, including a squad of retributors, three retributors with a squad of what did you charge them with? Uh, five mandrakes. Man, five mandrakes. And he also charges murder succubus into a squad of arcoflagellants that went out to get the objective to make give me a domination that turn. Uh, this will come back later. This is Jack's favorite part. Of the this story. is such a good part of the story. Oh my god, better than five raiders dying in one. Just go. <laughs> anyway, he shoots me a bunch. He flames me. Uh, he kills basically all my retributors. I think I may have had a couple left at the end, but Nick makes sure those things die because they can start picking. They can pick off the last raider for free. They can do a lot of stuff. Uh, they charge. He charges into my rhino, an empty rhino with the, the witches and some characters near it. With the idea of tying the rhino up, and then I can't do anything about the characters that are nearby. Um, so going into his, his assault phase, he decided to, to fight with the Mandrakes on the Retributors first. And the reason he did this was because in a practice game, he fought with a squad, with a character into his, the wrong unit first, and a squad of Retributors interrupted and killed eight, uh, witches. I was bad touched by the Retributors, so I overcorrected. So... Right now, what happens is he, he activates the five mandrakes first, and then I'm like, all right, no, okay, fair enough, you killed them. Uh, I'm going to interrupt with the argoflagellants that are engaging the murder succubus, and he just goes, oh, my God. Yeah. I'm, oh, not, my God. Not my finest moment. But we got through it. Murder succubus did. That's okay. Murder succubus got slapped. But <laughs> uh, I also dealt with the witches and characters up at the top with Drazar, not Drazar, with Draxus. Uh, I believe a unit of the five-man unit of Repentia and just shooting into combat with the Rhino. I wasn't able to leave. I did try, didn't make it. So I then dealt with those characters just by shooting them and charging them and doing a bunch of stuff like that. I interrogated his Archon with Draxus, the, the one CP strat. Uh, so, and I killed his murder succubus. I also committed 
a squad of eight Repentia into the center to kill his Raquifier boat, Drazar, I think, and a unit of um, warriors, I want to say. I think we're getting lost in the weeds here. All this is to say we basically just fought a war with each other. Yeah, every unit in our army died really <laughs> fast. By like turn four, everything was dead. I had spent both of my Repentia squads because I needed to control the board. I needed to... The first squad was just thrown away for no reason. The second squad, I made the conscious decision, I need to control the board right now. I need to get points. I need to clear them off the center objective. And I don't have a way to do that that isn't the Repentia. Um, so I committed that. We just we fought a massive war over the center of the board. And I ran out of stuff, and he ran out of stuff. And then he had two slits and herbal parties in Drazar. And that was... That's like I think that's happened? all you had left. I had like stragglers, the remnants, the survivors of random units here, there. Nothing of substance. A couple of mandrakes, a couple of warriors, a couple of witches. Jack has the same, like, you know, a sister of battle limping out of combat, a wounded rhino, stuff like this floating around. And then out from behind the back corner wall, top of turn three, because my five of invals are on, all this has happened in two turns. We just bloodied each other. And then all these slits and ergols just come Kool-Aid manning through the wall. And, you know, it's an eight-inch move. They can advance and charge. And they're going from my corner ruin to whatever Jack put on the middle objective because that's whatever he scored domination with. So that's not in that's not even a hard charge. Like, move advance, if you're at all three or four in advance, it's like a 12-inch, 11-inch move. And then I'm only, like, six inches away from the middle objective charging. So both of them hit their charges, and all of a sudden, between the charge move, the pile, and the consolidate, there's... 16 slits and ergols with five pinvils, five of female pain, and Jack has like two bolters and half a rhino left. Yeah, I have some characters, and uh, that's that's about it. I did have Seraphim trying to make an end run around to take his home objective because you can't score the the mission primary, the mission secondary if you don't hold your own objective. Um, so Nick just sent one squad of slits and ergol back on a, to hideously overkill them, and then the other squad just went into my deployment zone and took my home objective and just ran me over. Mm-hmm. Which uh, y'all talked about is what's commonly referred to as the Dark Eldar party time. Yeah, <laughs> Dark Eldar party time. Everything else in the army was dead. Everything in my army was dead. He just had 250 extra points of uh, Slith and Urgle ready to party. But there are things we can take away from this. So, Absolutely. Um, one mistake I think we, we've highlighted is the Repentia. You, you seem to misallocate the first unit going into what was nothing after they failed to charge some raiders that you shot away. And then we noticed that they had to be saved for dealing with the slits in this like sort of endgame scenario or to prevent this endgame scenario. What what happened to the other Repentia squads in, in your army? Because you have three, right? I have one five-man and I have one other eight-man. So the eight-man I threw away. Awesome. Uh, then I had an eight-man that I committed to the center to deal with um, a whole bunch of stuff that was in the middle. The problem was if I blew up your boat that was on the objective, you get obsec out and I can't deal with it. So I have to go in and kill it in combat. Uh, which just means I have to commit the Repentia. And so I, I, I don't think that was necessarily a mistake if I had a squad in reserve, but I didn't. So committing the last squad, I, I don't know. I just start to fall behind on points too much if I don't commit them. So I think that throwing away my first squad had this downstream effect of making a play that probably would have been correct wrong, because I'm now using up my last, last squad. I don't think there was a good option there, honestly. Either I let you have the center objective and fall behind six points and then another six. Or I go in, and now my way of dealing with slit parties is gone. Uh, right, in hindsight, man, you see that. Yeah. yeah, The five man doesn't really get the job done. It's, it's, it's nice, but I also needed it in combat. I, I think I may have thrown away a couple units of 
um, arcoflagellants a little too soon. But the thing is, it's so hard to keep your stuff alive against Dark Eldar because a slight misposition, and all of a sudden he's picking them up with the grappling fires. So, do you think um, is that the crux of the match? Basically, being able to handle everything else while saving the repentia for this list, or setting up some scenario where the repentia drive forward to then just get aggressive into this list? Is that an option? Well, what uh, you can't get aggressive into this list because getting aggressive through a Dark Elder army is incredibly difficult. They'll just kill you. But if I if I drive like rhinos with repentance up the board, then they get. So you popped, think they would have been more useful as like a late game trade piece, like save back? Like he has a list so of circles back I have there. to keep them. You I have think, more back. back. They can counter that because they can trade. go tremendously far out of a rhino if you push up towards the center. They just go up towards the towards the center and they just pick up a slit and herbal party. I mean, I didn't make this decision in a vacuum. I, I, I knew that this is what I needed to do, but I also knew that I'd played that game, and it, it's hard to win that one. And I was banking on his Slits and Urgul's not boogieing as hard as they boogie. They moved very fast. I was hoping it's turn three. He still has them in his corner of the board. Maybe if I spend all my resources to deal with the rest of his army, then the Slits and Urgul's can't make up the difference. Turns out they can. Um, that was the problem. But in other games I've played against him, I've answered the Sliss and Urgul party, and then I've just lost to the rest of his army. It's like the same problem, but in reverse. I use up my Repentia to deal with the Sliss and Urgul's, and then he has like Drezar and some units of Incubi and some Racks, and that's what ends up winning him the game later on. So it sounds like it's really a double-edged sword here. Either you lose the Sliss and Urgul's or you lose the rest of the stuff. There's no way to really allocate your army properly to handle both at the same time. So I think... This is a great stopping point, Blake. In part two, we're literally going to take Jack's list, take Jack's tactics and dissect them, and then figure out where he can improve, what things he can do better to, to better fight Dark Elder in the future, what's worked in the games he has won against them, and also what list changes we can look at in the future. Maybe it's allies, maybe it's not, to further help this matchup so he doesn't lose to Dark Eldar again. Yeah, and part two will be available to subscribers of the Art of War website. So go check us out. We're on theartofwar40k.com. That's theartofwar40k.com. We have exclusive content to help improve your competitive game. There's coaches there available to hire to personally one-on-one work with you. We have uh, the war room access. We have merchandise for purchase. Go check it out. There's a lot of cool stuff to check out. And lastly, at the end of part two of our episodes, we're actually going to do a brief Q&A moving forward. So if you have any questions, concerns, any feedback for us, we'd love to hear it. And email all these questions to Blake at theartofwar40k.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and join us for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network, theartofwar40k.com. 